0: You are listening to Church of the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchoftheoaks.com. despite all of the rampant idolatry, despite the rampant sinfulness that has caused him to literally scatter people across the face of the earth he calls a man named Abram a man that we know better by the name Abraham so if you got your copy of God's word, Genesis chapter 12 we're going to read just the first three verses this morning it says this now the Lord said to Abram Go from your country and from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As we look at just those three simple verses this morning, we're going to pull two, two truths out. One, God, God calls Abram, and then two, God promises Abram. First, God calls Abram. Keep a few things in mind here. Abraham was not a follower of God at this point. We don't know anything about him prior to chapter 12, verse 1. It's different than what we got about Noah. You remember, when we were introduced to Noah, we were told something very significant about Noah that we're not told about Abraham right here. We were told that Noah was a righteous man. He was a man that was pursuing righteousness. We don't get any information like that about Abram. All we know about Abram is that he's called Abram and the Lord steps in and calls him to himself here. He's a very wealthy man, as we're going to continue to see. If you just read through the rest of chapter 12, he's got a lot of stuff. There's a lot of people with him. There's a big family, not his specific family, because his wife Sarah is barren. He doesn't have children, but there's a lot of people with him. He has done very well for himself. He's very comfortable in life. All is okay for Abram and his family and his farm in the land of Haran. Even more than that, one thing we find out about Abram is that he's 75 years old. He's what we would consider a senior adult. Not the time of your life to be starting new, starting fresh, or or taking on a new new journey. Yet one day, he's just going about his life, just living his everyday life. And God steps in, stops him in his tracks, and speaks to him. Speaks to him directly. Abram, pick up everything you own. Take it all and start going in this direction and you'll stop at the place that I show you. Leave your family, leave your friends, leave your father's land. Leave it all behind and just start walking and I'll show you that you're there when you get there. Now, just imagine that with me for a moment. Put yourself in Abram's shoes for just a moment. God speaks to you, says, just start going, and I'll tell you when to stop. There's some of you this morning that if I just walked up to you randomly, you don't know me. And I said, I just need you to start going in that direction, and I'm going to tell you when to stop. You're like, I don't know who this guy is or what he thinks he's doing, but I'm not doing anything he says because that's crazy. And that would just be walking across that. God's calling him to do that for forever. He's not coming back. This isn't for a little five-minute journey or a small vacation. This This is what God is calling him to do with his life. This is significant. Leave everything. How would you respond to that? Would you be scared? Would you be concerned would you be worried would you be confused would you have questions would you respond at all i think all of those things would be normal i think if god speaks to us and says just go and i'll tell you when to stop like that those would be normal concerns and questions we would have but there's something that i'm struck by here I'm struck by Abram's trust. And I think that there's something, there's a simple truth that if we do nothing else this morning but grasp this, I think this alone will allow the Lord to do some work in our own hearts and lives as he's calling all of us in a similar way to do similar things. I'm struck by this, that every time the Lord calls us to something, it's first a call to trust him. That every time the Lord calls us to something, whether big or small, it's first a call to trust Him. We will not move until we first trust. It just won't happen. You sat in that chair this morning and you didn't think twice about it because you trusted that chair was going to hold you up. But if for any brief moment you thought, "Hmm, something doesn't quite look right about this chair... You wouldn't have sat in it. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, I'm standing in the back, and I see Chris Wilson, our church planter, going to start. We'll pick a chair up and carry it to the back of the room. And he looks at me, he's like, it's broken. dude. You've been here like 10 minutes, you broke a chair. We won't move until we first trust. It's true, it's true of everything in our life. It's especially true in our relationship with the Lord. And what's really important to see here is that Abram... There doesn't seem to be any questions. Does we don't get any other conversation. We just see, we see deep trust in God speaking to him. And he's like, yes, okay. I hear your voice. I hear what you're calling me to do. And I'm going to go do it. I'm going to do it. God calls him. And he answers in absolute obedience because of deep trust that he has for the Lord. There's something there. And on the backside of that call... The Lord responds with a promise. Look at it again in verse 2. He says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. So you will be a blessing And him who dishonors you. I will curse and in him, in, in you rather, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You need to highlight that. You need to make a note about that. Because over the course of this whole story, there's going to be a few promises made. And this one's a massive promise. There's covenant promises that God makes with his people. And we call this one the Abrahamic covenant. God's covenant promise to you and to me, to his people through Abraham. God makes a point over the whole story to make promises to his people to share with us his desires, to share with us his heart. And in showing us his heart, he's helping us to do what? To trust him. He's saying, listen, this is what I desire to do. I'm calling you to do this, but here's, here's, here's my heart. Here's what I'm desiring to do. He he promised Adam and Eve, you remember, as they're banished from the garden, things are terrible, right? They're leaving God's presence and His rest. They're kicked out. And as they are leaving, God says this this promise to them that one would come from the seed of Eve that would crush the head of the serpent. It's a promise. He promised Noah just last week. I'm not going to do this again. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to to show you that over and over and over and over and over again by putting my bow in the sky. It's a promise. And here he promises Abram, if you'll go, if you'll trust me, if you'll walk, that what I'm going to do is bless you and protect you. And that through your obedience, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, for many of us this morning, personal blessing and personal protection would probably be enough. He's like, if you just do this, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna protect you. And we're like, we're in, Lord. Whatever you need from us, we're in. We've got it. You, you've got it. We're down. That last section there. It's really important for us to understand because he speaks to Abram. He says, this, this obedience that I'm calling you to, I want you to understand very clearly that this is about more than you. That what I'm calling you to is about more than you. It goes beyond what you have to gain from it. Do you realize this morning we don't live in a bubble? That your obedience and your disobedience actually affects more people than just you i think at times we convince ourselves that it doesn't but i want you to understand this morning we don't live in a bubble if we obey if we obey the call of the lord in our life it affects other people if we disobey the call of the lord in our lives it affects other people if we are actively living in sin it affects other people we don't live in a bubble as much as we would desire to, as much as we try to convince ourselves that we do, as much, as much as we long to, we don't live in a bubble. We don't sin in a bubble. We don't live in disobedience in a bubble. And we certainly don't obey in a bubble either. We, what we do in our lives affects others. It's most clear here. In God's call to Abram, he says, Your obedience will affect others. That you being obedient will literally lead to me being able to bless the nations in the way in which I desire to bless the nations. If you just have enough trust to walk. The call is really simple. Pick everything up and just start walking. I'm going to tell you where to stop. If you can just do that, I'm going to protect you, one. I'm going to bless you, two. But just in your walking, very simple. If you, you just walk. I'm going to bless the nations because of it. It's massive. I'm going to put you on a path to live for something greater than yourself. It's massive. Now, don't miss this. I told you from the very beginning that it was God's desire to rest and rule, Right? That's that's his heart. It's been his heart all the way back in creation. It's his heart across this whole story. And that all we've tried to do is extend the gap through sin, leading to the Tower of Babel where God's people were dispersed and languages and the nations were literally created in the chapter before this. It was a spiritually dark time. But the very next move God makes shows us so much about him the very next move he makes is to extend a promise of blessing to the nations the nations that were just created because of our sin the very next move he makes is to extend a a promise of blessing to those nations a message of redemption for those nations See, it's hard here. It's a messianic promise. It's not just a small promise to Abram or to a a specific generation of people. No, no, no. This is a promise for all the people who will ever walk. They will be blessed by what Abram does in obedience. It's a messianic promise that hope is coming, that redemption is coming, that cleansing is coming, that salvation is coming to the nations. Look at how Matthew... Look at how Matthew tells us or explains or introduces this Messiah that is promised to Abraham through his line. Look at how Matthew introduces him. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew understand it, understood it. He understood that this Jesus, coming from the line of Abraham, is the, the promised Messiah that Jesus said would ultimately come, or excuse me, that God said would ultimately come and fulfill this promise of being a blessing to the nations. How? How would he be a blessing to the nations? John chapter 3, verse 16, a verse that we all know well. It's written on our hearts. that He so loved the world. He loved the nations. He loved the world. That he gave Christ his son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the, that's the promised blessing that Abraham had no clue would come. I've got to think that Abraham's If he's able to see all this play out from heaven, I've got to think he's just looking down in awe of all that God did just because he was willing to walk. It's one of those moments where I'm sure he was struck by the fact that God did immeasurably more than anything that he could ever ask or imagine. i want you to hear today god's heart has always been for the nations it's always for all people god's heart is for the nations and here's what's most significant this morning and his call is for you his heart is for the nations that is clear it's abundantly clear you can't read your bible without understanding that but his call is for you The fulfillment of God's desire to reach the nations is achieved through our willingness to trust him and walk. It doesn't seem significant. It's not always these massive, massive movements. No, the fulfillment of God's desire to reach the nations is just simply achieved in our willingness as individual people, individual followers of God. when We just walk. Walk towards what he's called us to. That's what Abraham did. That's what Abraham did. He, he opened his hands in full trust to what God was calling him to. What about you? What about you? I think that there are four critical things I'd just like to pull out of this Quickly we need to wrestle with as we respond to Genesis chapter 12 and what we see from the heart of God. The first thing that I'm struck by that I think we need to wrestle with is that following God means walking into the unknown. Abraham had to trust God with a completely unknown future. He didn't know if where he was going was better than where he was. All he knew was that God said go and I'll tell you when to stop. God said, "Go." Abraham said, "Where?" And God said, "I'll show you." Later on, God says, "I'm, I'm going to give you a son." And Abraham's like, "I'm old, and my wife is barren. How?" He says, "I'll take care of that. Just follow. Just trust me." Even later in his life, God says, "Abram, go go to that mountain and sacrifice that son that I just gave you." And Abraham says, "Why?" God answers, "I'll." show you just climb just go and at every step of his story we see abram having to come to terms with the fact that he just has to follow god into the unknown trusting he's going to answer the questions he's got along the way taking a step he didn't completely understand i love how john calvin summarizes abram's life he's he's like god it's like god stepped in and he he grabs Abraham by the hand and he says, Just close your eyes and take my hand as we walk together. Just close your eyes and take my hand. I love that idea. Seems sweet. But the truth is, we're. Often in our lives, so far from that mentality, that mindset, right? Unwilling to do that. Talk to a lot of people trying to help them do what God is calling them to do, what they're, what they're, they're, they're discerning that God is calling them to do, and, and many just kind of hit this wall where they're just unwilling to do it. They want to know, well, if I surrender all of this to the Lord, I've got a million questions that God has got to answer before I'm willing to trust him enough to take the next step. Where are you gonna make me go, Lord? If I give you everything, if I open my hands in, in full, complete trust to you, where are you gonna make me go? Do I have to go be a missionary somewhere? Is that what you're doing? Do I have to break up with my boyfriend and my girlfriend? Is that, is that where this is gonna lead? Do I have to be poor? I don't, I don't understand. Uh, I got a lot of questions. I don't, I don't, I don't see how that's going to work, or that's going to work, or that's going to work. So if you can tell me how all of these things are going to work, that would be helpful. Am I going to have to be one of those annoying people that this is all they ever do is just this thing that you're calling? Is that, is that, is that, is that who you're calling me to be? God says, look, just close your eyes. Take my hand. Trust me. Let's walk. I'm not telling you to turn off your mind. We have to discern if it's the Lord. We do that in community around the word. But once you do discern that it is the Lord calling, it's our responsibility to respond in trust, to walk. And if you don't, then you will never know God or the unimaginable experience that he has in store for you. Following God won't always come with the Lego instruction manual. It's not always going to come with a map. It's not going to come with the the book of all of the answers to all of your questions. Following God requires deep trust as you walk with him into the unknown. Second thing I would pull from this passage specifically for us to wrestle with is that God's calling to salvation and his commissioning to mission are one and the same. Notice, the first thing God says to Abram, calling him, is a call to himself to trust in God, and at the same time, a commissioning to go. It's one. There's a misconception, I think, among Christians that you get called to be God's child at one point in your life and then discipled and sent into the mission at another point in your life. But The Bible disagrees with that. The Bible, the Bible says the two calls are always one call. Think about Moses. You'll talk about him in just a few weeks. He encounters God at the burning bush and God says, you're mine And I have a message for you to share with Pharaoh. Calling to himself and calling to mission is one call. When he's walking along, when Jesus is walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he looks into the boat and he he calls to Peter. He says, throw your nets on the other side, and Peter throws his net on the other side, and he pulls in a large catch of fish, and he says, he says, come follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. It's a call to himself and a call to go at the same time. It's one and the same. God's call on your life to salvation is a call to use you in his mission. It's one call. And that's good news for you because that means if you're sitting in the room this morning, and God has called you to Himself in salvation, it means He's got a plan for you to use you in His mission. That's great news. The more grace God showed in saving you, the more plans He has to use you in His mission. That's great news. That's called to save you. And God's call to send you are one in the same. We are saved and sent. Not two things, one thing. Third thing, we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Look at verse two again. He says, I will bless you and I will make your name great. And we're like, yes, bless me and make my name great. And then he says, why? So you will be a blessing. He said, it's not about you. I can say this because I'm leaving right after this, right? I'm going to eat lunch. and I'm going to coach a soccer game. It's not about you. The moment you make it about you is the moment you're going to be miserable. It's not about you can't be about you. Your life can't be about you. That's God's point. You're blessed to be a blessing. Is that how you see the blessings of your life? That everything you've been given is actually for someone else? That's what God is saying to Abram. This is what this is about. What God was doing in his life was about more than him. It was about the nations. It was about you. What God was doing in Abram's life was about you. Which means what he's doing in your life is about somebody else. It's the way he works. Are you more of a Sea of Galilee kind of person, or are you more of a Dead Sea kind of person? Like, that don't make any sense. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel. Had the opportunity to go a few times, and there are two seas in Israel. One's on the north side of the Jordan River, one's on the south side of the Jordan River, and they could not be more different. The Dead Sea's on the south, and it's dead. It's awful. It's hot. It's the lowest place on the face of the earth. There's a photo, I think, that is coming up. There it is. From a distance, you're like, oh, that kind of looks beautiful. It's not. It's hot. It's nasty. People get in it and they rub the, like, the silt and the salt all over their body. It's gross. The reason it's dead is really interesting. Because the Jordan River flows into it with fresh water on the north side, which is that direction. It flows in, but there's no outlet. There's no place where that water runs through it on the other side. So everything it has, it keeps. And look at the banks of the Jordan River. I mean, of, of, look at the banks of the Dead Sea. Everything is dead. There's, no, there's nothing that lives in it. It's too toxic. There's nothing that lives around it because the soil is too toxic from that water. It is dead because it has no outlet. Now on the north side, Jordan River runs into the Sea of Galilee. And the sea looks vastly different. Filled with fish. Filled with life filled with lots of vegetation growing around it, it's alive. People that go to Israel, they'll tell you it's the most beautiful place in the entire country. You just want to go just hang out there. I had to do everything I could do this summer to keep Britain off of jet skis. I'm like, you, we, we don't have time for you to go jet skiing on the Sea of Galilee, bro. The reason it's alive is because it has an inlet yes the Jordan River runs in from the north but it has an outlet the Jordan River also runs out from the south are you your life are you more of a dead sea where everything you've got is mine I keep it all it's mine I white knuckle it all are you more of a sea of Galilee that that what I have I understand God's given me to be a blessing for other people A Sea of Galilee mentality is really significant because if you're a Sea of Galilee, then you believe that because you've been loved by God, it's easy to love other people. That loving includes forgiving. That loving includes grace and mercy. It's agape love. If you're a Sea of Galilee, if that's your mentality, you believe that because you've been given and blessed with money, you'll share that money. If you've been blessed with wisdom, you'll share that wisdom. If you've been given a talent or a skill or an ability or some insight, you'll share that with other people. You'll give it away. Everything you have, you've been given to share with somebody else. Your life is about more than you, and the sooner you realize that and live like that, the better it's going to get. You are are blessed to be a blessing. Finally. Finally. We have to prioritize God's kingdom over our castles. We have to prioritize God's kingdom over our castles. God wasn't calling Abram in this passage to allow him just to be a part of his life or add a few tweaks to his morality. No, God called Abram to a whole new basis of life. No longer would he find his security in how much he possessed or how much he was able to provide for himself No, he had to trust God. He was going to a new place with new new problems, new solutions that need to be found. No longer would he spend his life building his little castle. No, 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 God says, I want you to be about my kingdom, and my kingdom is about other people other than yourself. I'm going to bless you to bless others, so would you be about that work? And He left it all, trusting that the Lord, what the Lord was going to do is better than anything he could do for himself. Church, following God is not just adding a little bit of God to our everyday lives like we're adding salt on french fries. No, it means that we are completely trusting him with our future and making his kingdom our delight. Now, all of us have a set of things that I'm sure we delight in, things that we long for, things that give us happiness, or or, or maybe even deeper things that we feel like give us meaning or give us significance. And most of those things aren't bad things are actually good things. They're actually blessings from the Lord in our life. Succeeding in our career and having enough money to make sure that we're okay and get whatever we need or, 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 or what we want in our life. Some of you live for your hobbies. It's why you spend the amount of money and the time and the energy on those things. Students... We've spent all this time getting into school and now we've got to keep grades so that we can procure the job that we want to get when we leave. For some of you, it's just this idea of getting married and having a family and living a good, solid life. And look, none of those things in and of themselves are bad things until we make them God-level things when we raise them to a point that they, they become the things we ultimately trust in above all else. When they become our primary treasure, the things that we desire most, the things that we pursue hardest, here's what I want you to understand this morning, that following God means letting go of all of that as your primary treasure and primary security and making him the source of both of those things. of Jesus longing to be obedient to the calling of God on our lives we must delight in him and his kingdom over all and here's what that means if all we have is him if we look around and all we have is him it's enough that we actually believe that he is enough enough If our career goes away, if our money goes away, if our hobbies pass away, if Alabama football, heaven forbid, loses a football game, he's enough. As an Auburn grad, losing's not so bad. (laughs) The sun does come up. If our grades plummet, he's enough. If I don't get that job that I was longing to get, he's enough. As we close this morning, I think we would be wise just to ask a simple question. There's a lot here, but I think we would be wise to start here. Let's look at our lives and ask, what does my current obedience to Christ tell me about my trust in him? What does my current obedience to Christ tell me about my trust in him? This is chapter 12, God makes this unbelievable promise to Abram. And he says, if you do this, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to care for you, but, but more than you, I'm going to bless the nations. As we've seen, Matthew says, that blessing came in the person of Christ. He came for us, Who lived a sinless life we couldn't live. He died a sacrificial death, we deserve to die. He rose again, providing us hope we can't lose. God's work wasn't done there. The beauty of his story is that he shows us his heart and gives us a glimpse into the future. In Revelation chapter 7, we see the complete fulfillment of this promise that he makes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. One end of the book to the other. Totally fulfilled. Look at where where we're going. Believer, look at where we're going. John, given this vision of the future with Christ, he says, After this I looked. and Behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. From a childless 75 year old man just called to walk to the nations gathered around the throne of the Lamb, proclaiming his. Greatness. Church, obedience is sometimes incredibly simple. We're like, why does this matter? Sometimes it's incredibly scary. We're like, I'm not sure how you're going to do this, Lord. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. Whether incredibly simple or incredibly scary or a million other things, it's always incredibly significant. Fulfillment of God's desire to reach those nations that we will one day surround the throne of the Lamb with and sing His praises for all of eternity. The fulfillment of that heart, that promise that He makes to Abraham here in chapter 12 is achieved through your and my willingness to trust Him. Just walk. I pray as we close this morning, as we're gripped with that truth, that he's honored in our response. Let's pray together. Father, you're so incredibly good. Your word to us is so challenging. The fact that you desire to use us is humbling. The fact that you saved us is mind-blowing. And Father, would you grip our hearts with the truth would you show us areas where we just are unwilling to open our hands and trust? Father, would you give us the boldness and the courage by the power of your Spirit to do that which is most difficult for us, to release, to release the things that we cling to for purpose and satisfaction. Father, and trust that what you have in store for us is so much better for us and even more, so much better for those around us. Father, would you give us the, the, the courage just to take the step whether simple or scary, Father, would you give us the courage to step because we know that in taking the step, that you're doing more than just what you're doing in our lives in that step, that you're engaging with those around us. You're demonstrating your faithfulness in our lives for the sake of your kingdom, your heart coming to fruition. So give us the boldness to trust we'll give you the honor and the glory. It's in Christ and we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For more sermons like this, you can give us a follow at Spotify or Apple Music. If you want more information about our church, you can check us out at churchattheoaks.com. Church, you are sent.